Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. If you'd like to know more about us, just check out our website at sunridgechurch.org. And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. Well, good morning, Sunridge. Great to see you guys. Uh, Will you pray with me? God, thank you for gathering your church here this morning. And as we look at your word and try to understand what you have to say, not just to the entire world, but to the people that uh, call Sunridge their home church, that our hearts would be open. And we do welcome you with our praise. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a seat. Hey, um, welcome Sunridge, welcome back if you've been coming for a while, if you're brand new here and you don't know me, my name is Britt and I serve here as the lead pastor and I want to let you know that every first Sunday of the month we do a welcome for people. We meet in a classroom, we just hang out for 30 minutes or so and you get a chance to meet us which is just amazing and then, um, you know, we get to meet you which is really what it's all about. So I want to give you a personal invite to that. Um, You know, it was a number of years ago on the CNN website that an article appeared 
uh, about these two authors that were bringing out a book, and it's part of a way to promote that book. They crowdsourced what they called the Ten Non-Commandments. And uh, so they held this contest. They solicited input from all around the world, and they offered $10,000 in prize money. And so they appointed this panel of judges uh, to determine the top 10 winners of the Ten Commandments, and here, or the Ten Non-Commandments. Here's what they came up with. I'm going to put them up on the screen. Number one, be open-minded and be willing to alter your beliefs with new evidence. Number two, strive to understand what is most likely to be true, not to believe what you wish to be true. Number three, the scientific method is the most reliable uh, way of understanding the natural world. Number four, every person has the right to control of their body. Number five, help me out. There you go. God is not necessary to be a good person or to live a full and meaningful life. Number six, be mindful of the consequences of all your actions and recognize that you must take responsibility for them. Number seven, treat others as you would want them to treat you and can reasonably expect them to want to be treated. Think about their perspective. Number eight, we have the responsibility to consider others, including future generations. Number nine, there is no one right way to live. And number 10, leave the world in a better place than you found it. Now, I don't know what you guys think about those 10 non-commandments at first blush, and I want to know, I, I recognize that I'm a pastor, okay? I know that about myself, but I just want to like point out some things from my perspective. Number one, they put an awful lot of faith in human beings to live up to these ideals that are listed without the idea that there's an ultimate authority for whom, to, uh, before whom we will stand and be judged by these standards. Also, I believe that there's not really a recognition of how many of them come from the Bible or from Christian thinking. So for instance, number seven uh, is really the golden rule, which comes from Jesus himself. And then there's uh, on number, what, what number was it about the scientific method? Number four, yeah, which is up on the other part of the screen. Thank you for remembering that. You guys are amazing. I wrote this message, and I didn't remember that. Um, you know, uh, Reformed theologians uh, had a lot to do with the development and recognition that the uh, scientific method was a way to look at God's natural world. And then number three, uh, you know, I don't know if you noticed, but they're called the Ten Non-Commandments, which makes them sound very uh, non-commandment-ish. But when you read them, aren't they commandment-ish? Yeah. For instance, what if I don't want to follow one of them? Do I get to personally decide? About number nine, there's no one right way to live, so can I just live any way that I want to? Can I just ignore the ones that I don't want to respond to? I mean, isn't it actually a moral code to say that there isn't a moral code? For instance... What if Brit was deciding the moral code? So think about some of these. Um, moral code number one, if you're driving on the freeway and you're in that lane that's the furthest to the left, <laughs> only you're driving the exact same speed of three other people abreast of you. Um, 
I believe that your car should be confiscated <laughs> and you should be subject to remedial training about what fast lane means. And you can only get your car and your license back after you've completed this online course about it because that lane is not called the matching speed lane or it's not called the let's all drive next to each other lane. Idea number two, commandment number two, I think it would be a good idea that in the Costco parking lot, <laughs> that person who waits for the person who's trying to unload three carts of stuff into their Prius because they want the closest parking spot you can have, and of course it doesn't matter that everybody's lining up behind them, they're not looking in their rear view mirror, that person should at least have to buy everyone a churro at the food court. <laughs> and then while we're talking about automobiles, I'd like to say that if your neighbor constantly parks in front of your house when they have room in front of their house, you should be able to let the air out of their tires. <laughs> so aren't you glad I'm not writing the commandments? Some of you are like, hey, I think you should do that, Britt, but look. If you're a guest here, I'm really not that angry of a person. Maybe in the Costco parking lot, but um, I don't wear any Sunridge stuff when I go, so that <laughs> makes it okay. But what you should know is that we're in a series about the life of Moses, and one of the things that you probably know, even if you're not religious, is you know about this association that Moses has with the giving of the Ten Commandments. And what we're doing this summer is we're talking about one each week. And so last week, I, I did an entire message on how to read the Ten Commandments. I called it the Ten Commandments for Reading the Ten Commandments. And if you haven't listened to it and you're interested, I would just encourage you to do it because it kind of lays the groundwork for the, for the perspective that we should have as we go through these Ten Commandments because there's a lot of misrepresentations of the Ten Commandments. Some people think it's a list of rules you have to complete and fulfill in order to get into heaven. Others use, it as a con use the Ten Commandments as a tool to condemn people, or it's a way to find personal moral perfection. And some people just think they're archaic and they're not really for today. And I've even heard Christians say they don't apply to us any longer. So um, today... We come to the first of these Ten Commandments, and here it is in Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. As we said last week, there's a lot more to the Ten Commandments than meets, you know, that's just at face value. So today we want to understand what that means. Have no other gods before us. And then secondly, I want to talk about like why this commandment, this particular precept, is so critical that the Ten Commandments begin with it. And then, of course, as we always do here, we're going to talk about how this applies to you and me today and how we can practically live that out. You guys game? Still with me? Okay. So, in contrast to the Ten Non-Commandments, the authority that comes with the Ten Commandments uh, really is based on the idea that there is a God who said that we're to do so. See, the first commandment lays the foundation for all the others. That's the first thing in your notes, if you're a note keeper. 
I believe the first commandment is first for a reason. I love what D.L. Moody said about this. He said, if men were true to this commandment, obedience to the remaining nine would follow naturally. And it is because they are unsound in this that they break the others. So this commandment isn't first just because it's the most important, but it lays the foundation for all the others. Because can, can, a, can a moral, a truly authoritative moral law exist without a divine lawgiver? No. You've heard phrases like, trust your gut, just go with your intuition, I just know, follow your heart. Actually, the Bible says that's the last thing that you should trust. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. And beyond cure, who can understand it? Isn't it true that your heart, my heart, can tell us things that we can believe so certainly, and yet they end up not being true? Do you remember when your heart told you that that boyfriend or girlfriend was the only one for you in high school? And now you look on Facebook and you go, thank God I did not marry that person. <laughs> remember when your heart told you, I re you really, really, really need to buy this thing, even though you don't have the money. And now you have it two years later. You never use it. You're still paying for it. And you can't get rid of it. Remember what the ten non-commandments had for the ninth commandment? There is no one right way to live. Doesn't that one commandment eliminate the force of all the others? See, without God, that's what some people end up thinking about the ten commandments. They turn into the ten suggestions. And then think about what Jesus said. In regard to this, you shall have no other gods before me. That is the foundation for all the other teachings and commandments that Jesus gives. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Jesus, when he was asked, what's the, what's the most important commandment? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on this. So in other words, everything the Bible has to say is based on the idea that there is a God. So it follows that the most important part of our faith is not what we believe, not what we believe, or with how much conviction we believe it with. It's in whom we believe. The most important part of our faith is in whom we believe. Isn't it true that we can be sincere, convinced, committed, and wrong? That we can believe something so strongly that we're willing to do things because of that belief, but be entirely wrong about that belief. The first commandment here isn't, thou shalt believe in the right stuff. We don't place our faith in the Bible or a creed. Our faith is in God through His Son, Jesus. Why who we believe in is the most important. Think about this. When God says, you shall have no other gods before me, 
One way to read that is, look, I'm God and you're not, so do it. When we put our faith in Christ, we are saying that we are mere humans and we're not God. So if there's a God, then he has every right to make the rules. And that doesn't make God arrogant. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love people. It just means that he's God and we're not. Now, has that been used in all kinds of negative ways, in corrupt ways, to manipulate people? Yes. But doesn't that even reinforce the fact that there, that there has to be an authoritative creator that will hold those manipulative and corrupt people accountable? I'll be honest with you guys. I have no problem with the idea that, that, that God is God because it's true. And God doesn't have to give me ten reasons why I have to do what He says I should do because He's God. Now, that is not to say that I do them all. Right? I'm not saying that. But it just makes sense to me that if God is God, then he has every right and authority to say, do this or don't do that. But I don't think that's all of what's going on here. Look at what God said right before commandment one, Exodus 20, verse one. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. What God is doing is he's reminding the children of Israel who he is. The reason why these statements stick, the why behind them. It's not just, I'm God, so do what you're told, because I said so. He's saying, look, look at how personal it is. I am the Lord, your God. He says, I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. That's not just a history lesson for the Israelites. He's saying, this is what I've done for you. This is the evidence of how much I love you. Now, for all the dads and moms here, have you ever said to your kids, especially when they're adolescents or in early adulthood, I'm your dad. I'm your mom. I'm thinking of those times when I was telling my children that something was good for them or that they couldn't do something that everyone else was doing or that they had to do something that no one else was doing. I had to tell them, why, why do your parents have these awful rules that other parents don't have? And we would go around and around sometimes. You guys know what I'm talking about? One of my daughters should have been a lawyer because everything was a debate. And uh, it would get me so turned around and so confused. You know, I think I've told you guys before, one time I just walked away and I said, you're making me sin. And I just walked away. <laughs> because that was a much better thing to say than what I was thinking about. And with that particular daughter, we, we developed a new rule in our house. It was like, we say something, argument starts. From now on, before you start the argument, you have to ask, can we negotiate? And we would say, da da da, here's a rule. But what are you supposed to ask? Can we negotiate? No, we can't. So, <laughs> or other times we say, okay, we're in a good mental status, we can negotiate. See, sometimes their loyalty was torn between their parents 
and someone else, something else, what someone else was doing, and uh, sometimes my plea or explanation to them just came because, like, I couldn't fully explain it at the time. I would just say, look, I'm your dad. I love you so much. That's the reason why we have this rule or some value. I, I know in this moment you don't understand it. It seems so different from what all the other parents are allowing their children to do, but I'm your dad. And I love you, and I only have your best interests at heart. And so this rule or this decision on this matter is all because I love you, and I want the best for you. Just think about who I am in your life. What I've done for you. The sacrifices that me and your mom have made for you. Why would, you, why would we want anything else but the best for you? Now, if you're a parent, I know you're laughing at all the right moments here, so I know you can relate. But if your kids are really young, I just want to tell you that there's just going to come a time when they don't always understand everything that you're telling them. I know that you think, because you read the latest book, that you got it dialed. I did too. You don't have it dialed. They're going to argue with you. <laughs> and it's in, 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 as a parent, it's important. They grow to, un, to listen to them to help them process, but it's okay to take a stand sometimes and go, I'm your dad. I'm your mom. Because that's what God is saying here. He's saying, I'm your dad. I'm the one that redeemed you. I rescued you from slavery. I saved you from the Egyptians and the Midianites. I've been leading you in the desert with a cloud and fire, and I've been providing your needs, food and water. And it's at, at precisely that juncture when it's really hard to walk the path when we don't understand or the path is different from what culture or my friends are telling me that my decision as a Christian should be based on who God is, not just my understanding of what He said or the rule or the issue. I think that that's what God is doing here as he starts out telling Moses what the Ten Commandments are going to be. Remember last week we said that one of the things that's happening with the Ten Commandments is God is establishing a covenant relationship with his people. They came from slavery. You were slaves in Egypt, and all your morals, all your values, all your, they had no choices. All your way of living, your priorities, were all dictated by a secular, godless king, Pharaoh, and the society that he had created, and now you're starting over. And here's the way to live. What's going to be important to you as my people as you start over? This is what it's going to be like if you want to have a relationship with me, with the God of the universe. So your values, your priorities, your actions might end up entirely different from the people that are around you because you're no longer a child of this world you belong to me. I've adopted you. You are my people. You are my children. These are my family values. I'm your dad. That's the reason that this commandment is the first commandment. If we're going to worship God, follow Jesus, or reflect who he is, 
then we have to know who it is that we're worshiping and following. Everything after that is based on that belief, and that's why this first commandment is so, so important. The important part of our faith is not what we believe or with how much conviction that we believe it with, it's in whom we believe. The first commandment is saying the Ten Commandments are not designed to control you, but to enable you to flourish. So what does it mean then, you shall have no other gods before me? What is God saying? Sometimes we think about this commandment in kind of a metaphoric sense. It's like there's this long line of gods, and as long as God is in the front, we're good. Like God is saying, as long as I'm your number one priority, we're going to be okay. And in some respects, that's true, right? But actually, I think it's much stronger than that. Just look at it again. Literally, you shall have no other gods. In the Hebrew, that means no other gods in place of me or except for me. So God is demanding he is, an ex- he is our exclusive God. All of our love and devotion goes to him. He, can be, he is our one and only focus of worship and loyalty. And the you there is not plural. It's personal. It's individual. It, this is, he's not saying you as a nation. He's saying you as an individual. Each of you personally shall have no other gods before me. And that is so in contrast, in conflict with what the Israelites came out of, right? We've been talking about this. The Egyptians had a God for everything. They had hundreds, maybe thousands of gods. They had a political figure, a king, a pharaoh, who was the ultimate authority for them. And aligning with that culture and with that king gave you power and advantage. And the ancients at that time, they had all these deities, but eventually Genesis comes along and says, there is one God that created all things. I love what John Dixon from Wheaton College, uh, this is the way he put it, monotheism, that's like only one God, is not just the Bible's first commandment, it is its first thought. The nations around Israel and where they came from, they they have all these impressive gods, and it appears that those gods hold all the power and all the authority. These, the other nine commandments that God gave them, they're going to be controversial in many cases to their past and to the, um, the nations around them. But it was this idea that God demanded to be worshipped alone to the exclusion of all the other, others that was unique. So what is that first commandment saying? It's saying this. The first commandment says that we're to worship God exclusively. God demands an undivided heart. He says, me and me alone. There's no tolerance. There's no wiggle room. It's 100% allegiance. Next week, we're going to cover idols. I mean, it's like this backs it up, right? You shall not have idols. You shall have one God and you shall not have idols. Now in this, as we talked about last week, you know, this is not something we impose on those who don't believe. We make a personal choice. God made a covenant with his people. He didn't make a covenant with everybody. So there's religious liberty in this country for all, and I'll be the first to say that's the way it should be. You may disagree with that, but that's how I feel. We live in a democracy. But for those who choose God, the God of the Bible, there's one God. 
And this is part of what's so unique about Christianity and how faith is reflected through Jesus, through his teachings. We follow Jesus exclusively as well. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. Not one of many. And no one who comes to the Father, no one comes to the Father except through me. And so today, don't you hear, um, well, what makes you say there's only one way? That's kind of not popular to say today, right? I feel very safe saying that to you guys. But if I said it out loud in the grocery store, it might be different. But we all get to choose our God. And yet, God says you've got to only have one God, me. And you might, you might ask, isn't that narrow-minded? Yeah, it is. But we're narrow-minded about a lot of things. Aren't we? Let me, let me ask you. Let's imagine you have a company. Maybe you do have, have a company. Or you're, you're the boss at your job site. And an employee comes to you and they say, you know, I have a lot of other jobs too. So um, sometimes I'm going to show up to this job. And uh, sometimes not. So don't be so narrow-minded about me coming to work when I'm scheduled. Because I have other jobs. Last week we talked about how the Ten Commandments are a lot like wedding vows between God and uh, the people. Is it marriage an exclusive relationship? I mean, that's how I understand it. Right, right, honey? <laughs> when we get married, we, we say these vows. It's like I'm entering into this relationship, exclusive relationship with you. And as such, I make the following promises to you, these vows. So let's just imagine that I say to Cindy, you know, babe, of all the women in my life, I want you to know you stack up number one. <laughs> but do, do you think that we could have a both-and relationship? I mean, how can you expect me to be so exclusive about our relationship? Don't be so narrow-minded, dear. There's just a lot of other women in the world and I just don't want to be limited. That wouldn't be fair of you to ask that of me. But I can promise you this. I will always come home to you because you're my number one. And then Cindy would respond, that is wonderful, Britt. I am so grateful for the time that you give me. How do you think that will work out? I can tell you that if I said anything close to that, Sunridge would be immediately looking for a new pastor and they would be scheduling a memorial right here on our campus. So some relationships are either or, right? Marriage is forsaking all others and so too that's the way God is explaining his relationship with his people and that's not cruel, it's not intolerant. So you say, well, Britt, you've convinced me. So how do I do it? Well, here's how to live out the first commandment. Two, just two really practical thoughts, and then we're done. Number one, dethrone yourself. 
dethrone yourself. If you, I just want you to get a picture of this. You're sitting on your throne. Get down off the throne, okay? And clear out space for someone else to sit there. Now, guys, let me talk to you, guys, because I think you're going to be able to feel me on this. Um, watch with all the pillows on stuff today. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, do you ever go to sit on a couch and there's nowhere to sit because there's so many pillows? Or the bed. There's like two-thirds of our bed that has pillows on it. So before you go to bed, the first thing you got to do is like, you got to start stacking pillows over here. It's like takes five minutes. Then you can get in the bed. I love all of those pillows. I just want to be careful that I say that. But sometimes God can't reign because there's no room on the throne. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And I, I just want you, I know many of you know that verse, but I want you to see the order. If you say, Jesus, I really want to follow you. And the process there is deny yourself, then follow. I got another way of thinking about this. Um, you ever notice how dogs want all of your attention? They want your food, and they want to sit in your lap. And you're sitting there, and they're just like eyeballing you the whole time. You're trying to eat your French fries, and they don't want fries. They want to get up in your lap, right? And so um, they're going to leap up into your lap if you don't do something. And um, so you, they start up, and you just put your hand there, and you block them. And if you're at someone's house where their dog jumps up on you, you try to just do it a little more slyly. It's like, <laughs> or you're like, you just don't look at it, or you like turn your legs a little, like, no, no access here, pal. Doesn't it seem like everything else is trying to jump on, your, on the throne of God in your life? It's just, it just gets cleared out, and like, something always wants in that seat. That's why I say dethrone yourself. So make room for God. That's, that's how it starts. God's the creator of the universe, but he won't force anybody into that position. He's not going to just like force his way into your life. You have free will. That's something that God has never messed with. So you're going to have to make the space for him. And you're going to need to keep that space open for him. And this is number two. This is how. Dethrone yourself, then enthrone God in every part of your life. Put God on the throne in every part of your life. Again, look at what Jesus said about when he was asked about the most important commandment. This, this time it's from Mark chapter 12. The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Isn't that pretty much an all-out effort? What else do you have after that? After all your mind, all your strength, all your heart. I mean, I'd really like to give some attention to other gods right now, but um, I got nothing left after all my strength, all my heart, all my mind. It's just, I'm full because God's there. There's no room in my lap. 
for that thing to jump up. And when God gave the Ten Commandments to the Israelites, He was creating a way of living that in some ways was so different from what they had previously known, but it begins with this first commandment because without this first one, the other nine don't make any sense. Let's have the band come up. And I want to tell you, like, in case I haven't gotten through today, I've been particularly strong, I know, I'm sorry, but um, God is asking for all of us. That's what He wants. All our mind, all our heart, all our strength, all nine yards, hook, line, sinker, the whole enchilada. He's not asking for um, a limited partnership. He wants a complete takeover. And what does that mean? It means God wants us to do what He says to do. He wants us to say what He wants us to say. He wants us to go where He wants us to go. He wants us to live the way He wants us to live. He wants us to forgive the way He wants us to forgive. He wants to love. He wants us to love the way He wants us to love. He doesn't want to negotiate with us. We just do it. And I think that that's what it means to have God on the throne of our lives and to have no other gods before us. Because God is not, he's not interested in just creating good people or moral people or you know, fine, upstanding, respectful people. He's interested in reflecting his image in the world. We talk about this all the time. If, we, if, if God is in us, then he wants to shine through us. He wants us in the world, in my job, in my community, on my street, even in the Costco parking lot. He wants us, when people look at you and me, to say, that must be what God is like. And the only way that will happen is if He has all of us. That we have no other gods before us. Now, I know that some of you, you don't go to church or maybe you're back to church or whatever, but, and you're like, man, that sounds really hardcore. You know, what's interesting is that Jesus said that it was through that giving up of ourselves that we find the things that we're really looking for, the true peace and the true joy and the true purpose and expression for our lives. So if you're, if you're on the edge or you're, you're thinking about Christianity, I just want you to start with this thought. It's like, if you've been doing it all your way and it's working out really good and everything, keep doing that. But if, but if there's something in the back of your mind that says, you know, I could use some help. I don't think I have it all dialed. I think that I make mistakes all the time. And I think that like I need, I think that there must be something more then I would ask you to consider the idea that God is God and he's not a big meanie and he's not full of himself and he's not trying to hurt people he's trying to put us in a place where we can experience the life that we were intended to have and that begins by us relinquishing who we are. Saying, God, I give. And I want to do it your way. And so I give my heart to you. You can do that in a prayer. 
You can do it by yeah, a friend of yours can help you through what that means, but it just comes down to that. And you, you won't be perfect after that. Um, I'm living proof of that, and so are your friends. But you will be on the path to following the right path. And you'll have a light in front of you that will guide you in the best ways. Because he's your dad. He's your mom. I know that, for me, that sounds a little weird, but like I'm not trying to make a theological statement. I'm just saying that he loves you and he cares for you. And so, think about that. Let me pray, and then uh, we're going to stand and worship together, okay? God, thank you. Um, thank you that you love us, even though we're, we're dumb at times, we're proud, we're broken, um, we lose our way, and we put ourselves on the throne, and, but you will always be our Heavenly Father. Nothing can separate us from your love, and for that, we're so grateful. Help us to understand that that idea more deeply in a way that leads us to trust you and to follow you, even if, even if we don't understand it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, you guys. Stand and worship with us. Hey, everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, Keep helping people find and follow Jesus.